Hey everyone, it's Josh. I just wanted to let you know about a really cool opportunity that we're offering right now for this Shifting Moment listeners. You can go to thisshiftingmoment.com. That's just thisshiftingmoment.com. And we're offering a free meditation guided by Richard. The only caveat is you sign up for our mailing list, which is going to include uh, probably monthly meditations, stuff like that, writings that we enjoy, maybe even a reading list, something that me and Richard have been working on, as well as information on our upcoming book. So if you're interested in that, if you'd like more information on that, there's a link in the show notes here. Again, this shiftingmoment.com. Sign up for our mailing list and we're going to send you a free meditation. Thanks. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this shifting moment. Every Monday and Wednesday, we focus on a reading. And these readings come from Richard's vast library of thought leaders, teachers, and spiritual guides. And after the reading, we offer up an invitation. And it's an invitation that's designed to move something in your own heart. It's designed to help you wake up, help you through your afternoon, or to wind down at the end of the day. Welcome to this shifting moment. We hope it helps. Ronald Rollheiser, The Existence of God. Several years ago, Gordon Sinclair, a famous Canadian journalist, died. For many years, he had been a regular panelist on a nationally televised news program. An avowed atheist, Sinclair had for years given the Canadian public his apologia for atheism. As a young journalist, he had gone to India to cover the wars surrounding India's struggles with Great Britain, and he saw human misery and death of such magnitude that his mind and heart simply would not reconcile with the existence of God. In Sinclair's words, God is simply not imaginable in the face of the kind of suffering and meaninglessness. Had he presented this apologia to many of the early masters, he would have received a surprising answer, because they would have said, you're right. In the face of that kind of suffering, one cannot imagine that God exists. But belief in God and faith in God is not had on the basis of being able to imagine His existence. In fact, if you try to imagine God and you look very hard at certain issues, you will end up an atheist. Why? Because all attempts to picture God and to understand rationally how the existence of such a being can be consistent with what we see in life is an enterprise that by definition undercuts our ability to believe in God. Looking at the perennial sense of suffering and evil in the world, one could argue, as many do, that God either cannot exist, exists but is not all-powerful, or is malicious and incompetent. Our world is too full of physical and moral evil, infectious parasites, cancer, AIDS, natural disasters that inflict death, pain and destruction, cruelty, selfishness, exploitation, rape, murder, insensitivity and stupidity. With evil so widespread, how can we conceive of a benevolent, 
all-powerful creator who is lovingly coaxing creation to higher levels of existence. Perhaps even more challenging is the task of trying to conceive of the existence of God in the face of the overwhelming immensity of the universe and the infinite multiplicity of phenomena within it. Our planet is one of many billions of planets, and during each second of time on Earth, thousands of people are being born, thousands are being conceived, thousands of others are dying or are doing virtuous acts or suffering, celebrating, hoping, praying, despairing, and all of this has been happening for hundreds of thousands of years. Can we really believe that a God exists who is Lord over all so that no sparrow fall from the sky or that no hair from a human head without the Lord knowing and caring deeply? The answer is no. When one considers evil and the sheer immensity of phenomenon, one cannot conceive of a God who could truly be Lord and master of it all. Our minds and imaginations cannot stretch far enough. We cannot picture, but that is precisely the point. The divine reality cannot be grasped through a finite imagination. The limits of human imagination and its frustrations vis-a-vis -vis imagining the existence of God are not the same as the existence or non-existence of God. The fact that we cannot imagine God speaks more about the finitude of the mind than it does about the likelihood or the unlikelihood of the existence of an infinite being. Many difficulties arise from our failure to recognize and appropriate this. Suppose one night I lie in bed and stare holes in the darkness, trying to imagine the existence of God, but I cannot and I panic. Dear God, I'm an atheist. I can no longer imagine and feel that God exists. God doesn't exist. On another night, I lie in bed and I feel very secure in my sense that God exists, and I can imagine that existence. Does that mean that on one night I have no faith in God, and on another night I do have faith? It would be more accurate to say that one night I have a weak imagination, and on the other night I have a strong one. The difference lies not in God's existence or non-existence, but in the capacity or the incapacity of the imagination to crank up its own constructs, which either give one the sense that God exists or leave one unable to feel it. Frustrations in attempting to conceive of and to feel God's relationship to creation tend to lead, as they did in Gordon Sinclair's case, to the unfounded conclusion that because we cannot think, picture, or understand how it is possible, then God does not exist. The atheism that arises from our incapacity to conceive of God is an idolatry that results from not properly respecting God's holiness. A God that has been slimmed down to fit the limits of a finite heart and mind is unable to measure up intellectually because an intellectually conceivable God is, ultimately, inconceivable intellectually. Where does that leave us? If God cannot be conceived of, how can we know God? 
Are we doomed to either agnosticism or blind faith based solely on authority and revelation? For the contemplative tradition, there is another option, awe and wonder. God can be, cannot be thought, but God can be met. He can be experienced, touched, and encountered. And in such a posture to God, we live in contemplation. This is a really incredible reading. And if you've made it this far, I really commend you. <laughs> because I think for a lot of us, this idea of God can be so big that it's just overwhelming and it's not worth the time in our day to spin out on it. But the invitation today, the invitation that I want to give to all of us is to contemplate. Contemplation is so much different than thinking or problem solving. Contemplation is to ruminate on something that can make us bigger. It's not trying to hold or to squeeze an idea so that we can grasp it or we can own it. Contemplation, ultimately, if it's done right and if it's done well and if it's done lovingly, will always lead to wonder. It will always lead to a greater sense of awe, a greater sense of I don't know, which is a perfectly good answer when it comes to God. So let the invitation today be that I will sit and contemplate. I will not try to think or to problem solve or to reason, but I will allow space for awe and wonder. And the beautiful thing is, if we're leaving space for awe and wonder, we're leaving space for God.